0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to season five of the Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Alexia Gordon, award winning author and host of the show. Every other Thursday, I chat with an author writing on the not so gritty end of the crime fiction spectrum. If you prefer your mystery without hardcore sex and violence, join us in the Cozy Corner. Welcome. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host of the podcast. Joining me in the corner today is author Lynn Trust to chat about Psycho by the Sea, her latest constable Twitten mystery. Welcome back to the show, Lynn.
1: Oh, it's really good to be here. Thank you. Uh,
0: Psycho by the Sea is the fourth constable Twitten mystery. So would you please tell us what he's up to this time
1: around? Well, um, we're going through the year, uh, month by month. So we started in July and it's now September, and it's very rainy. Um, so it's a slight change of sort of temperature. <laughs> but it's still it's still the same farce, really. It's another farce. And, um, and this one, well, there are several elements, really. Um, God, it's hard to break it down. Really, what's going on? is a lot to do with Mrs Groins, the lady who is, pretends to be a charlady, but is actually a criminal mastermind. Um, there is someone out to get her, basically, and we don't know who it is, but but various things that happen indicate, you know, are, are built towards um, a big old climax in which Inspector Steen, the, um, the, the, the rather stupid man in charge of the Brighton Police Station is under threat from a psychopath um who is triggered, <laughs> it's really complicated, isn't it? He's triggered by um terrible memories in his past. He had an awful, awful episode uh in which the colours black and white came uh, were were um important. So he's so we see uh, a plot. We see a plot, but I can't I can't give too much away. It's difficult. It's difficult. The other thing that's in it that I, I'm very proud and pleased with is that you, every time for each book i think i like to think that Twitten, because i'm interested in Twitten's brain Twitten is very clever and so on he's always abreast of the latest things going on in publishing and film and all that sort of thing but mainly in 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 scholarly, in scholarly circles and he's very interested in a book that came out in 56 called old 57 here um, um the hidden persuaders about the power of advertising and how advertising was used to manipulate people and how research was being done into what motivates people to do things. Um, why, why people will buy this one instead of that one. Sorry, that's my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> in stereo, don't this one starts barking in here. So, um, um, and so that became an important theme as well in the book. Um, I think it should be a, a, a theme of all crime novel, really, motivation research, but, um, but it's sort of very forefronted here that he's really interested in that in a sort of academic way and then there are other people using exactly the same methods but for crime. Um, and, uh, and really it's sort of how it's just the same thing, really. Con artist and an, an advertising person uses the same psychology. So, so it's quite cynical in that way. <laughs> Gosh, that
0: doesn't make it sound at all interesting to read, does it? Is it supposed to be funny? Is is the main thing? And that that's um, it was a really a book like that written in fifty six or fifty seven. That's that's fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's Vance Packard, and it was it was a hugely influential book actually in the world of um, sociology, and um, yeah, and it was it was about you know this this amazing new. Um, New research into and so coming out of it. It was around that time that they um, and what was what is often attributed to the book is uh, the popularity of the idea of subliminal advertising, um, which was banned almost immediately afterwards. I mean, the the people that he was writing about did attempt subliminal advertising and it was it was banned immediately. Um, So, um, but I have I have again it's used in my plot someone trying to make someone do something by like flashing images into a, into a little film um, but um it's, it's just jolly interesting and it is it is basic psychology but it was suddenly being applied in this cynical way to make people buy cars and things you know and it was seen as outrageous at the time we now think it's of course we we accept it don't we yeah.
0: well kind of because we still seem it's i guess i'm surprised that this research from back in you know, the fifties because you've got documentaries now like the social network, you know, you've had uh, recent notorious events from various countries interfering in uh, channels to manipulate us. And it, it kind of seems like we are surprised every time it happens, but if someone wrote a book about it, what, more than half a century ago, you think it wouldn't be such a surprise anymore. It's like, well, duh. So that actually fascinates me that, Hey, we've actually known this. It's just no one's, Seems to be paying attention, or we just don't remember it. So that that is that's fascinating.
1: Good, good. Now, I think that's one of the things about writing about the fifties is that it's it's obviously it's. Before, it, I was born in fifty five, so I still remember a little bit about the fifties. But most of the readers will be, you know, bridging that. Probably some younger, some older. Um, but but really, it is about sort of saying the past is very like. You know, is very like the present. At the same time, as it can really shock you um, in the attitudes that the certain attitudes. And of course, the ones I fo- one I particularly focus on in the books is the attitude to women, um, because and working class woman in particular. That means that my working class woman master criminal can get away with everything completely under everyone's nose because she's invisible to them. They don't rate her. They don't think she's important. They don't think she could be clever enough to do anything. So, it's, if she can carry on in plain sight, because you know she just sounds like a Cockney child woman, and she behaves, and she just, you know, just gives them cups of tea, and and that means they um, they, they don't see beyond it. So it's very enjoyable to play with something that's really actually quite awful, <laughs> and turn it against the people against people. Um, makes her the you know triumphant. She'll always win out. She's a, she's a very smart woman.
0: And actually I was I was going to ask about that. So I'm, I'm glad you you brought it up. You know, another character is um this um your se- the secretary in the book um Man. has a great deal of power and influence, which real secretaries have, but it's very easy to dismiss the secretary just as you know the the woman in the neck mm-hmm. blouse sitting there, um, when truly a secretary um, can make your life miserable if you deserve it. <laughs> um, and there, there are many women in your book who are underestimated, and you use that stereotype of you know women as not being taken seriously to to very great effect. So it sounds like that was a, a conscious uh, uh, choice that you that you made.
1: Very much so. Very much so. Yeah, she actually talks to um, Mrs. Groynes has, has got a new sort of um, number two um, under her in this in this book, um, Denise. Who we've not met before. And, and she one of the first things she ever says to her is, Do people tend to underestimate you? And she says, All oh, the time. And she says, Well, don't be angry about it. <laughs> 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 it's your gift, it's the most important thing, you know, let them underestimate you. Um, so, um, you know, but obviously that's working with the system as it was.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so, to any uh, law enforcement types listening to this, stop underestimating women because we're getting away with a lot. <laughs> Um, another thing you use very effectively in your book um, is weather. You know, there's that, that old quip um, about, you know, never start a book with the weather, which I don't agree with, because weather <laughs> is a very effective way to create a setting and then build atmosphere. Um, and you do that very, right on page one. Um, and the, the, the way you kind of juxtapose, I mean, you, know, you start out by saying somebody's missing and then talk about the rain uh for the rest of the page but you know weather's weather and sports are the two things everybody talks about all the time so it's seems natural that you talk about it in your book um and it also gives you the i guess because it's in brighton which if those of us in the u.s think about it we think of it as kind of a summery beachy place so how's how's brighton in the not summer different from the what we all think of
1: it is so different i mean i think most seaside places. Get very seedy and horrible in the winter, you know, when the sun's not shining on. this very, you know, it's all, it's very, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's um, wafer thin, you know, the veneer on 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 Brighton Seafront, for example. And you just think, you know, the moment the sun goes off, it you can see that it's it's quite tawdry and needs a lot needs another coat of paint, and um and so yeah, and the wind comes in and so on. I mean, it's still quite, it can be quite a sort of romantic thing to go to the seaside in winter but um and can be lovely but um but generally i think that that wasn't what i was going, to, was what, I was going for. what i wanted because i had this retail as as my um as my sort of focus in this one about advertising and goods and because you know, there was this massive consumer boom in the 50s late 50s so people who were working class like my family all did start buying usually on, on higher purchase, you know, on credit sort of thing, they would start buying um, refrigerators and all this sort of stuff, they, a lot of which they'd seen on the TV from America, you know, and were thinking, oh, I wonder who will ever get one of those. And so because there have been all those years of deprivation because of the war and rationing and so on, then suddenly there was this great boom when people were – there was a lot of manufacturing going on in Britain, lots and lots of factories around – turning out stuff and and people were buying and and it was sort of very much the um um you know very important that people would have the shops so i one of the main the main um um focus of of the of the story one of the main focuses foci of the story is a is a department store in in brighton which i've invented um but from reading a lot about Reading lots of adverts and things from that period um, for local shops, it cut, it sells everything in a way that we would now find a bit disgusting. You know, you've got sort of they sell dog, you know, dog meat. You know, next to razors, next to a shop that sells you stamps, up to a place that you know does you know cookery demonstrations. Everything is just kind of higgledy piggledy, and everything you can think of is in the one one store, um, which is how department stores used to be. Um so it's got fashion and very practical stuff, and you know, you can buy a buy a ticket on an aeroplane or something, you know, to the to the offer or something. So it's it, I like the idea of this kind of you know, thematic confusion of, of this shop and um and how old fashioned it is. But um I wanted a reason for everyone to be going there as well. And it's sort of September, kids are going back to school, it's raining. You know, so the rain is quite a part of that, that you don't want to be on the seafront. You don't, you don't want to be outdoors. You want to be in a shop and you want someone showing you how to make the latest thing, you know, a, you know, a sort of um, these ghastly things that people ate in the 50s. So that people are demonstrating these chicken voronique you know, in, uh, on, in, uh, in, the, in the sort of basement and stuff. So it's kind of nice I, I, nice reason for everyone to go indoors if it's, if it's raining. And it's mainly, it's not so many holidaymakers. In the previous books, there've been a lot of crowds of, of, um, of people visiting. But in this, the focus is very much on people who, who live there, who live in Brighton. So yeah, so um, yeah, that was very, uh, very important.
0: Now, uh, now with the um, holidaymakers being gone, that presents, Challenges. I know there's there's a there's an island here, um, Mackinac Island in Michigan that Mm -hmm. um, has frankly horrible crowds in the summer because it's so popular. But then in the winter the population drops to about 500 year-round residents. So that would be it seems to be kind of challenging to set a mystery in a place where there actually aren't very many people, and the people there probably know each other, and so you know, it, it narrows your cast of suspects a lot. Was that t- or or on the other hand was it a good opportunity um for
1: you? I agree. No, it wouldn't be the case with Brighton though. It's still a big town. Still a big town. And that, you know, it would sustain a big population all the time, really. So um but people have more, you know, I like the idea of the villains have got less to do, you know, because there are fewer people to steal from and stuff. So um I quite like the idea of them being sort of, you know, because that's how I started is that you know, they're all just sitting in cafes waiting for it to stop raining. I go to the park, you know, because there's no, there's you know nobody to prey on in the street. So, um, so yeah, that's the. Um... <laughs> but anyway, you know, the police have always got plenty to do, and um, and we do have this um, um, American sociology professor who is murdered in in the department store, and that's all sort of what sets the ball rolling, really.
0: Uh, speaking of your, your, your criminal elements, they're actually your criminal underworld is very sympathetically drawn. I and mean, you can even argue that maybe that, you know, they're sort of the, the focus of the story, even more so than the the law enforcement. Um, they're, they're definitely fun. And frankly, they're the smartest people in the room. <laughs> uh, so how did, how did you approach sort of this, uh, sort this, sort of topsy turvy world where the you're really rooting for who should be the bad guys. Um and yet you're still a traditional mystery. It's not noir. So it's not, you know, you're not going in expecting the the bad guys to be triumphant. Um, but I mean really um, you know, you you want the, the bad guys to win because they're they're fun and they're smart and and everybody else is, you know, yeah. kind of annoying.
1: I think, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a bit relative, isn't it? So I've got my, you know, my my underworld gang, led led by Mrs. Groynes, and um and they're sort of yeah, they are quite cute in a way. They never, obviously, they don't do in our know, presence. They never do anything too horrible, and they're only planning a heist, you know, um and and wishing they could drill through because drilling through is much more exciting than anything else, but um. So they have to be kept in line by Mrs. Mrs. Groynes. But of course, there are people worse than them. That's the point always, you have people who are worse than them. So in the previous books, you had Terence Chambers and his London gang who are violent, you know, they were really bad people. So they had to get killed. I mean, we had a lot of, a lot of criminals were killed in the previous ones. Um, so, and then you know, there is um, whatever this plot is against Mrs. Groynes, obviously those people are you know, very bad indeed um so yeah i mean you have to be obviously it's all it's all a contrivance um to keep that sympathy because of course if they did anything you know like knock over an old lady and steal a purse you'd stop liking you'd stop liking them immediately so um yeah it is a bit it's a bit it's a bit of a balancing act i suppose um it's because they are um oh, i don't know there is a, i suppose there is a sort of british tradition of 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 liking Sort of daft criminal <laughs> um, and um, and you know, I love I mean there's this Denise, as I mentioned earlier, and I really wanted to develop denise. I'd love to do more with her, um, but her little brother, shorty, is the who is small because he's young he he's sort of he's the um, he's the messenger boy for the gang. And I just love Shorty. I mean, he's obviously being brought up to be a terrible person, isn't he? But he he's sort of, well, no respect for the law anyway. But he's, of course, he's adorable. I love Shorty very much. So
0: it's a bit tricky, isn't it? I wouldn't love Shorty in real life. <laughs> no, but but your, your your criminals actually seem uh, word, more honest uh, in a way because they, they – Kind of own who they are, and you've got the you know the inspector steens of the world who, um, are more two faced, I guess. So it's there's there's something uh uh, refreshing about that.
1: (laughs) Well, he's quite deluded about himself, I suppose, suppose especially saying. Um, whereas you know they're they're no, they are very straightforward, um, and they are, and of course, they are you know they are a gang they are they are looking out for each other to a to a set and the police are not you know the the three police that i've got i love the way they have this this relationship of the three of them that one is you know has no power at all but is really bright and can see you know is is always trying to work things out and is but perhaps being over intellectual about it and then you know you've got the sort of sergeant he's very dogged and, and and um and he's being pursued by this woman who he doesn't he can't believe his fancies him but she really does so um and and then you know the inspector who keeps getting the credit for doing astonishing things of, of law enforcement when he really has no idea what's going on so he's very very lucky and always comes out of it smelling of roses but actually is is clueless most of the time um and in relation to each other they they don't look out they are not particularly looking out for each other whereas i suppose the criminals are are much more tight knit and and so that was quite important that mrs groynes um you know the person who goes missing at the very beginning is one of her henchmen and she's very worried about him she's because she's been with him she's had him on her books as it and in her life for a long time and she's and so yeah, so there is actually more emotional connection between them all than there perhaps is with the police.
0: But Mrs yeah. Groyance
1: is together, of course, because she she's actually very nice to all of them in their different <laughs> ways, she's very clever, of course, at sort of pushing all their buttons. And um, and so she, it is actually explained to him at one point in this book, that he is being manipulated by her, by Mrs Groins because Mrs Groins always takes him into her confidence. And it it flatters him. It flatters his intellect. It flatters his ego, and he's never thought of it that way. But of course, that is true. And she does help him sometimes as well. So, you know, this is. Um, it seems like a very benign relationship, whereas in fact she's a criminal. And and if he doesn't bring it to book soon, it's going. It will stop him ever becoming what he really wants to be, which is a, a star detective and stuff. So um, he is caught um, caught by this. Her, her being so nice to him is actually, um, you know, a trick, a trick to a certain extent.
0: And, and it's deeply before, this is very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it brings in another layer of, of complexity and, you know, handled one way it could be, you know, become very dark, like, you know, HBO premium TV kind of dark, but yet you keep it, funny. And so, you, you know, as you say, no, it's, it's, is this is farce. So how do you, how do you balance that using enough humor? Um, you know, you, you, you make boiled heads and penguins funny. That's not easy to do. <laughs> so, um, but you, yeah, you don't go over the top with the humor, but you have just enough so that, you know, a complex psychological manipulation doesn't you know have us all reaching for for a bottle of something because it's bringing up all of our, our our deeper issues so how do you how do you balance that
1: I, I wish i knew um i think i think this intention is all i just keep wanting it to be as light as possible you know in the in 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 a way i want to pursue the oh, they're off again Dog, oh there we go there we go <laughs> or something um Yeah, I I try not to have the dogs disrupt my train of thought too much, (laughs) and I I I really try to um, um, have have a sort of an end in mind. Obviously, um, you know where I want this all to end up, so that stops you. you know, you know you don't want it to end in some terrible, um, you know, horrible, horrible tragedy sort of thing. Um, And I, I just, I don't know. I take it very steadily. I think I do take it each. Each each step of the way, I measure and think about. You know, I don't let anything get carried away without without me wanting it to. So I suppose it's just been taking care, really, and and having, as I say, a, an intention um, to uh, to keep it funny and to keep it entertaining. You know, that's the thing. I suppose. Um, yeah, but it's it is sort of it's very hard to explain isn't it it's very hard to
0: explain why it's not
1: it's not ghastly i'm sure some people might find it ghastly um but uh yeah i just i think it's um it's just keeping it always in mind what the what the end end product is and not not getting um so i mean you know there is there are feelings in it there are and there are moments of you know there i think the i think the you know I do try to understand them all and and what they are feeling all the time and and I do explain how they are feeling I think quite a lot so it's not just they're not puppets you know they're not just being you know made to do things and and without any any reason. I do always really take into account um their personalities and their um and how events will will impact them um and then make that cause the false, you know, that's the point, really. And
0: and and, and you do it very well. I mean it, it is very well balanced with, with funny and serious. Um and another thing that you you balance well is the um character development and setting and plot. You know, there's this it's probably somewhat artificial debate between are characters more important or is plot more important, but you have all three and you you have a a Brighton functions as the character. I mean, I, I, this would be very different if it was set in London. So it's, it's, you know, the the Brighton's not just an arbitrary choice. Um, Your characters are all well-developed, you know, three-dimensional, like, you know, you said they had feelings they're not just puppets. But you also never forget that you're writing a mystery, and so all of your threads, even the penguins, have to tie in there together somewhere and make sense by the end. So you you don't you don't shortchange readers on any of those three. So how how do you? But that's again, that's not easy to do. How do you balance all that? Because it would be really easy to just you know have a book with fascinating characters not doing much of anything, or a really wonderful story with cardboard characters. So how, how do you how do you avoid those traps I don't, know.
1: I don't know i mean i um yeah it's very difficult i have had a, a bit of a background in writing scripts and i think i think that must help a bit with the story element just uh, just the fact that you know in a especially writing for radio i remember you know sort of when i first started i'd have people just having conversations and stuff and and i said no people don't converse in in drama everything they say must be part of the plot it must be driving it must must push the understanding of the listener as it in those cases forward. You know, you've got to so so no no conversation is or no dialogue doesn't drive things forward in some way. Um, and I think that's that was a useful bit of training, I suppose, to 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 do that. So I think I think maybe, I do feel that maybe I could relax a bit more and have sort of slightly less <laughs> Less of a sense that you're always, I mean, on to this plot, and don't, you know, don't miss anything. Don't miss anything because it could all be, it can all be tied up together at the end. You know, so I, I mean, I think you know, you can't, you can't read it tired. You know, you have to be, you know, you have to be really paying attention. Um, and when I'm reading, I often read tired and think, oh no, I've got to go back. <laughs> I really didn't take any of that in, so I, I, I should allow for that a bit more. I think but um so you know that's the sort of and i and i do believe that characters make have to make the plot they have to be it has to be otherwise it's not funny if it, if something happens to someone um who doesn't deserve it or they haven't sort of in some way you know you haven't in some way laid something down it's not funny so it, you you have to make it that um that the you know it's the worst thing someone would want to happen or something you know is is then what happens so yeah, there are sort of um, they are all interdependent, aren't they, really? Um, but I'm very glad you enjoy that. And I and the the town, I mean I put in topographical references to, you know, different streets and things. And I know that only people who live here will give a, give any any interest, have any interest in that. But it's sort of important to me that I know that at this point someone will be going uphill or, in the, you know, I mean, actually, I read a book, very good, a very good novel set in Brighton by Robert Goddard, he's, he's a really good crime novelist. He's written lots and lots of things. And he, was, he got the, the um, a Diamond Dagger a couple of years ago when I went to the crime writer's dinner. And um so he's a you know anyway, he said a book in Brighton and he did say, you know, he acknowledged that he got a lot of help because he doesn't actually live here. And I'm reading it, I suddenly thought, no, that's downhill. Why would he say <coughs> he went along this road? I mean it's down this road, you know, it's down this road. and uh, well, I mean for a moment he lost all credibility, you know, it's outrageous to to judge someone on such a tiny thing. But You know, I I won't make that sort of mistake because I I sort of just know what I'm I'm writing about. So that's that's quite nice. And I love I mean, one of the things I love about writing these books is is sort of uncovering the town that's gone. You know, because obviously a lot of say even around the police station where I have set my police station in the right place, um, but I don't really describe it much because i sort of think it's fine that people should have you know when they say you go upstairs to these offices and you go there's downstairs the cells and the front desk is by some pillars and all that i think that's enough for people to sort of fill in the rest and and feel they they are getting the geography of the place um but around where it is of course um is now has been completely rebuilt there's an area that was that was completely rebuilt so it's all pedestrianized on one side and i have Twitten setting off for a for driving lesson he's a terrible driving but, You know, he's terrible at driving but he sets off for his driving lesson down a road that doesn't exist anymore you know and i i you know no one will pick that up it doesn't it isn't important but it's sort of important to me you know that i know that at that time there was a road there was actually a road down to the seafront there, and that you know he would turn left and go along so that's um that's that's all been part of getting to know Brighton at that time and put some of the um buildings in that have gone, as in the third book, there was that um skating rink that has gone and long gone and it's an ice has there ice shows there and I've just been reading about for the next one um the um they they've always had party conferences the political parties have always come to Brighton in the autumn um usually alternating with other other venues in seaside usually seaside towns but in 1957 both the conservative party and the labour party came to Brighton and they they had the conferences at this ice stadium which was which was sort of boarded over for conferences and things. So they all probably sat there going, oh, a bit cold. I don't know. Maybe they take the ice away. I don't know <laughs> what. They do. But I like to think of the ice underneath, but uh, <laughs> I expect they just loved it. But, um, you know, it was a major venue. There's this huge venue that everyone's forgotten about because it was torn down in the 60s. So that sort of thing. I really, I really enjoy sort of reimagining, you know, imagining um, it as it was. And so far, I don't think anyone's ever said, oh, no, that's completely wrong. So, but, you know, but things are sort of appearing. It's like a dream, you know, <laughs> that sort of, as I read as I read more about it, I think, oh, you know, this cinema here, this cinema there, loads of cinemas all over town. And, of course, there are, you know, it's almost nothing of that left. Um, they've become casinos or carpet warehouses, whatever, you know, but the, the fronts are still very clearly um, cinema-esque. So it's it's um it's
0: it's just fun to do that. You have obviously researched 1950s Brighton well. And you know, a lot of us probably don't know as much about the 50s as we think. You know, we, we get our ideas from reruns of your Yorkes are agreeing with me. You know, we don't know anything about the 50s. <laughs> oh you know? Um so how how do you how do you put in enough details, like you know the, the road that Twitten would have to drive along, which is important because that, that helps us see, okay, that's what Brighton was like. But on the other hand, you don't want to put in so much research that it shows that you did research. I mean, you're not writing a travel log or an encyclopedia. Um, and I guess it's kind of like with the humor, you gotta put in just enough, but if you overdo it, then that kind of ruins the whole thing. So how, how, do, you, how do you find that balance?
1: No, I I do like to um, yeah I do drop in a lot of say brand names and things, but I think I think that's yeah really is it really is a a question of judging, isn't it? How much to do? Um, I I think every time you put in something, it has to do sort of two jobs. It has to be obviously does the job of being true. You know that it is actually something that came all that you're making up that's accurate about the fifties. So it should come kind of come as a bit of a surprise, um, but it's also got to be important in the plot. So, so um, for example, the man who runs the shop, the man who runs the, um, the, the department store is, a, is, it's not a major plot point, but he is, you know, confused as to why people are buying one television instead of another. And so we have the names of those televisions. And people who know British brands would, know, would remember those slightly, Pie and Murphy as, as um, British made televisions of that era. And, and so I can put them in, but I'm not giving I'm not saying if one went into the, into the <laughs> I'll just freeze them. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> If one went into the television department one would see a pie. and a murphy says it you know and just sort of laying it out like that and it would only serve one purpose there it would just say i've done research i've done research. whereas you know if he's thinking why the pie and not the murphy or whichever way around it is or why the murphy and not the pie then it's sort of actually part of his character it's part of his you know and it actually is why he's so attracted to the idea of this motivation research for shopping um, because there must be um, a, a reason that one speaks to customers and not the other, so it's there for it's there to support a theme. It's there to show I've done some research, and it tells you quite a lot about him as well. So I think that that's why, you know, that's why that's how you smuggle in. Think, hey, you know, I know, but it's because I've seen adverts for all these televisions and I've made notes. And you, think, well, you know yeah i'm gonna get that in but you know you do it in a way that you hope will you know serve it'll be yeah smuggled in under another another seeming to serve a different purpose
0: so you use something fun when you're actually oh, oh my is. cat <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i make a very good launching pad for my cat she's now up on the um bookshelves um and i'm not gonna help her get down so she's She doesn't care. She's like totally ignoring me. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) Um, So um, I was just saying that you, you use a lot of, of historical and and geographical um, detail and research to kind of, I don't want to say teach the reader something. You're not setting out to teach us, but they're, they're important themes and lessons in your work that are still you can notice those and look for those, or you can just sit down and, and read a mystery about, uh, you know, missing criminals and, and, and boiled heads. So it, it kind of works on, on two different levels, which is, uh, um, I, I know I've, I keep saying this, but that's not easy to do. So, I mean, oh. it, is, was that, I mean, is that just sort of a, a byproduct that there's, um, people can get more out of it or not as they choose, or were you, you know, aware when you were writing it, like, hey, there's a lot of stuff here that you can actually take away from this. But if it's been a long day and you just want to have some, you know, fun by the seaside with a lovable gang of criminals, you can do that too. Yeah,
1: I think so. I think so. I mean, I think you do. I I, I say that reviews, obviously, as you know, you know, anyone reviewing crime novels has got a very limited amount of space, and they don't have. You know they'll usually review about eight books or something, and, and we're lucky to get reviewed at all. Um, and but it is crushing sometimes that you think that no one has spotted this major theme in this book, um, or um, or you know, they but it's you know, it is wonderful that anyone reviews you at all and says and even tells people roughly what's in the book. So, I, I all you can really hope for. Um, but yeah, you know, <clears throat> yeah, I definitely put in um. Yeah, because it's, I mean, I've always liked, I've always liked a theme. (laughs) So, um, yeah. And I mean, the thing is that people are improbably clever in this world of mine that I've, you know, so Twitten is very, very clever. Mrs. Groins is is not intellectual, but she's extremely clever. And then into this one, I have Adelaide Vine, who is a character in um, the second novel. She comes back and and she very nearly you know she does a lot of damage and she is super super clever she is super super clever and um and she she really does rattle um to and, and um and she, she yeah so i think i think this um maybe that's the thing, you know that so i do get to explain a few things because i've got clever people explaining things in the book really <laughs> um probably how i how i get some of it in um the other thing is the, the sauciness in this one because you know for um you know twitten is boarding at um at this house mrs thorpe's house which he moved into in the last book and uh, mrs thorpe is is lusting after um sergeant brunswick in a way that is inexplicable to him and um And so there was, there is a sort of slightly saucy element in it, fruity, you know, there's a sort of fruity element in this one that's never been in it before, Um, which is, and it's quite nice as well, because the the traditional sort of British comedy way of having a sort of slightly older woman who's, who's sort of, um, you know, sexually active um, would always be so horrible. It would always be so patronising. It would be so ghastly. And and of course, I very much you know identify. with She's <laughs> I think she's, lovely, she's great, and and I really want. I'm cheering her on, you know, because she she keeps on sort of trying her luck with him, and uh, and I I think that was a nice thing to do. Uh, was sort of rehabilitate that sort of horrible, you know, or change it, change how that that would be seen. That because um, she's she's actually a very a very
0: admirable person i think <laughs> you, you do have the the women in your in your books are actually very admirable they're um i i, I appreciate that they are um not shrinking violets um, unless they are pretending to be for other reasons <laughs> exactly
1: <laughs> no i'm very proud of the the, the villainesses in this are i think <laughs> carry the whole thing really. <laughs> I love them. I love them all. Miss Seibert, who is the um, the, the the psychologist, um, is I think my favourite person in all the books. I think I love her so much.
0: Um, she made me
1: laugh so much. So I really enjoyed writing her.
0: Now you you mentioned the next book. So you're, you're working on book number five.
1: Well, it's all in a bit of an abeyance at the moment. I think we talked about this last year about you know um, getting prematurely cancelled and things. I don't know if I'm going to get yet to write any more. So I've done a bit of research, but I haven't written the next one yet. So we'll just have to see whether that party conference one gets um, you know gets gets done. It's a bit sad, but I think with COVID and everything it's all been a bit weird. Well, yeah,
0: true.
1: Writing <laughs> in the last year. Have you have you have you written something this year?
0: Um, I wrote a couple of short stories. Um, I had an idea for um, a medical thriller that was not part of my series that I'd sold my agent on until I started um, hearing a lot of the uh, conspiracy theories that sounded a lot like what I was writing. And I decided I didn't actually want to write a conspiracy theory. So um, I I may go back to the drawing board on that one. That was
1: annoying. When the reality gets in the way of a good story, yes, um, yes,
0: there's nothing I could have written that would have been weirder than some of the stuff that's floating around out there in the news. I'm like, okay, maybe not this year.
1: No, no, that's that's uh, that's very sensible. <laughs> I've just been um, um, recently. I, 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 well, I had I have, used to live in two places. I have my house here in Sussex. I also had a flat in London and my flat in London was sort of my office and so I just hived off all the all the sort of archive and all that sort of thing was all up in London and it was in filing cabinets and boxes and things up there and I sold that flat uh, earlier this year which was a great relief I wanted to Mm -hmm. and all the stuff including lots of books a lot of books I had a library in up there as well Mm -hmm. and I had clothes and things they all went into storage And I've just spent the summer sorting through everything. I went, I did all the clothes, all the books, which took a lot of a lot of a lot of work, and a lot of trips to charity, you know, thrift shops and stuff. And um, and then I started on the archive, and I've just finished. I finished it yesterday, um, going through every single piece of paper that was in that archive and deciding what with how to how to categorise it how to box it up, how to file it, where to put it. Um, and and the effect has been really extraordinary. I mean, it doesn't even cover the books that I've written recently because they weren't ever bits of paper. You know, the things I've written recently have all been files. It was just sent from my computer and the proofs have been files that have been sent from someone else's computer. And, and all the reviews and stuff, I just keep on, you know, I download. I keep, I don't print them out. So it's not even all that, but it's tons of stuff. And because I've been writing professionally for 30 years um, and I was a writer on newspapers. So and I've obviously kept every word (laughs) I've ever written. Oh, my goodness. So at the moment, I don't feel too badly about not writing anything (laughs) right now because, honestly, I think I should be stopped. I think (laughs) someone stopped me. I have done too much. You know, when I look at it, I just say, oh, my goodness, you mad woman why did you write all this so um so you know and i've stopped as i was going through things i've read old radio plays and all things and um you know it's very satisfying it's very it's very good for you know it's good for the ego you think oh great look i've done all this but it's also a bit chilling <laughs> <laughs> oh no oh my lord what have i done so <laughs> so i'm sure i'll work up to really wanting to um you know, I'd love to carry on with these characters because I love them. I love these characters. And I would so love to bring back some of the people who are in this and you can't bring them back immediately. So that's, you've got to think a couple of books ahead before you can bring them back again. So I, I, and I do have a lot of ideas I haven't haven't used yet. Um, and there are characters to bring in such as parents. I mean, the, the mother of Inspector Steen who lives in Kenya and I've written quite a lot about, you know, just along the way about her. Um, she would be a great character to bring in. She's she's really awful. She's awful. <laughs> she was so awful. And she's so mean to him. And um and I think that would be marvellous to bring her her in at some point. And she's angry with him. I don't know if you won't remember this. But it's just a joke early on. Is that um he visited her in Kenya once and um <laughs> and her boyfriend came was coming over to see her. With a lion, the lion um, uh, sort of um, thing over him, you know, sort of lion skin. So Steen shot, and <laughs> <shot him. laughs> she's never forgiven him. So yeah, <laughs> she, <laughs> he's, he's in the undergrowth with a lion skin on him. You know, what do you expect me to do? So um, so there's a sort of deep rankling thing going on there that, that could come out. And um, and she was quite posh. She's very posh. He was he was. His mother was posh and his father was a, a policeman. And so they, they were not a happy couple. And the policeman died in a, in a horrible accident on Hammersmith Bridge. And, um, and so he was brought up by his mother who then went to Kenya. So I love the idea of bringing her in. And Twitten's parents who we've never met, we know that his father is this world famous criminal psychologist. So you know, if you want to get another clever person in there, it's obvious it should be Twitten's dad, um, and I assume they have a nice relationship. But but there, are, oh, it could be great. Could be great. Well, you know, so I do. There, there are things like that are hanging there, just waiting, waiting to be plucked. So I, I would love to do that. Um, yeah,
0: but well, we'll keep our fingers crossed that you get the green light to go on because these are. Um, Fascinating people that I'm sure we would all love to read about for for years and years and years to come for for another thirty years perhaps. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but now, um, fortunately, we can read Psycho by the Sea, um, and that'll be available. Uh, do, do you know the dates that it'll be available?
1: Sure, I know it's November. Um, I don't have, oh, i don't have it in front of me actually. I think it's November,
0: early November. I think, I think. I don't know. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Will it be about the same time in the US and the UK?
1: No, the UK came out. It's already out in the UK. comes What we do is we have it out in, in hardback here in the summer. So it came out in June, I think. But the paperback won't come out until the following year. So um, so, the June, so the paperback comes out next, next summer. Whereas in the US, um, both are published on the same at the same time. Okay, I think it's a very. I think it's good. I think it's good to do that. I suppose we get two goes, but I think that. I mean, I think I I think there is a market for hardbacks, and I suppose it goes into libraries and that kind of thing, but it feels as though delay. It's more a delay, you know, until next year when when finally the paperback is um, is is published because that's when I think most people. We'll buy it, um, and we'll think about buying the others. So, um, I think we've got some sort of ebook deal on at the moment for all four. So that's nice because that includes <coughs> includes the new one. Um, so that 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 means that that's sort of um, um, given the same same sort of status as, as the first three. <coughs> the covers are still great. I'm very very happy with the you know with the art. Have you seen the the cover for? Um, have you seen this cover? This one.
0: Yes, that's, that's the one I have, and you're right. They are they are great. They're they're very they're very retro. I, I like them. Um, and it uh, it also says November 2021 on the spine. So uh, yes, November 2021 is when it's coming out. I just noticed that. lovely. But thanks to the magic of the internet, if anyone would like a hardcover, they can certainly order that from a UK bookshop, right?
1: Yeah, that's be so. Yeah, I don't know how long it takes for the day to come, but yeah, it's true. It is. It is available in the UK. Hmm. Yeah.
0: And um, where can readers connect with you if they want to find out more about the uh, Constable Twitten and Mrs. Groynes and the uh, uh, people's people's posh mothers? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't. Um, I don't do any social media. That's a trouble. I think it was when I was doing some um, things with the US last year that someone pointed out that I I was on, because I had joined Twitter briefly, and she said, you've got 16 followers or something. (laughs) (laughs) Because I only ever put one thing up, and I thought, no, it's not for me. And I I couldn't even find it or anything. I've obviously deleted it from from all my apps. and things. So who knows what's happening on my Twitter account? I haven't looked at it for at least a year. Um, But um, so I have got a website, which is lintrust.com, and Lintrust all one no dot and lintrust.com. And wow. um and people can write to me um at info at lintrust.com um in that way and obviously contact the publisher, which is Bloomsbury, um as well. But I don't do I don't do social media. I just I never got into it. I always thought it was a bit scary, you know, that they could get you into all sorts of trouble, which of course it does. It yeah. gets people in <laughs> all of trouble all the time. So um And, um, you know, I just I don't think I could give my time to it. But do you do it? Do you do do a lot of tweeting and Facebooking and things?
0: I do. I have cut back some um, just because I started a new day job. And so I actually have to go to an office now. But um, I admit when I was uh, um, home during the uh, height of the quarantine, I was on social media kind of a lot because that was a way to keep connected um with others um now that i'm seeing people in person and actually work in a building where we're not allowed to have cell phones it's um kind of easier to wean yourself off of it so <laughs> that's
1: interesting i didn't know that happened um yeah i just i i mean during i think it was very interesting because i just ended up talking to the same sort of quite small set of people but a lot you know, we would talk for an hour and a half at a time and, and it would be, you know, we'd always be keeping in touch with a, a certain set of people. And so I had no, you know, I'm now finding out what other people were doing, but I, I didn't I couldn't spy on them, which is what I did. <laughs> I couldn't spy on them through Facebook and see what they were doing. Um, I just had to find out, have to find out now um what they were all doing during it. But um it was I, I I now I'm so confused. I mean we we've sort of come out of it here. In a in a rather odd way, because everyone says we shouldn't have, and 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 it's it's a false false sense of security, but it almost does feel like it's happened and it's over, and and now I can't really make sense of it. I I was very I, you know I was really on top of things during <laughs> during it, and I really did understand why I couldn't see people, and I was you know naturally very fearful, and I and I've been very good about the mask and all that. And um and now I just think, where did that, you know, where did that year go? Where did that what happened? Um, and I feel vaguely guilty that I haven't done things, like I've just sat at home for a long time. But I haven't I, you know, it was all right for me. I was very lucky. I was just very lucky. I mean, I think writers generally, if you're a full-time writer, you know, you, you it doesn't really affect you. I mean, for the first first big section of it, I was writing this book and and then you know. I suppose, up to Christmas and and round, I was just very, I was just enjoying reading and things. I read a lot of, I read a lot of books. I read a huge number of books. And I sort of feel this is my sort of um, reward for years of having them, having, you know, lots of books around. I was just
0: actually sitting and reading them at last. It's really lovely. A lot of people um, did that, um, even the uh actually there were, there were a lot of social media posts about people's uh, pandemic reading they were they were uh, working through those uh tbr piles and uh um, um cozy and traditional mysteries kind of got a, a boost because people were reading things that were more comforting than what they'd been reading before and so um books like constable Twitten and, and other things that aren't um you know, dark and dreary, and uh, had a little humor actually gained in popularity because people needed a little of that in their their lives and they were so cut off from other people. So,
1: well, yeah, I'm really, I'm very much in that. I've really very, felt that myself, <clears throat> and really didn't. Uh, you know, there are lots of things. That I've you know piles of of, of um, DVDs that I know have got violence and things in them, and I've just avoided them. I watch Paddington. You know, I watch things that are really sort of sweet and and funny and you know so Shits Creek I know did incredibly well everywhere yes. it so sweet it was so sweet it was so nice um the here we've got um <clears throat> I think he, he has done one in the states as well this um Richard Osman the book the Thursday Murder Club yes which it was a it was huge here but he's very famous here because he's on television a lot oh um, He's a he's a quiz he's sort of on quizzes and he's he's very nice he comes across extremely nice well on television, and he's clever and the books are nice you know they're 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 really pleasant, but they have a good plot you know they're good they've got a mystery, it's more about the characters than about the plot I would say in in his case uh, but the characters are great so you know you really get a lot out of them. And it's been, I think it's been very encouraging for cosy crime, the co- whole cosy crime um, genre that he's been so successful. Um, but as you, as you say, it's because we can't take, bear too much reality at the moment. Um, but I was reviewing the new one. The second one has just come out and I was reviewing it for The Guardian. And I suddenly remembered this wonderful um, quote from... Jane Austen, let other pe- uh, let other pens dwell on guilt and misery, you know. And I and um and so I put that I put that in it because I and I and I said, and they do, I said, <laughs> 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 don't they, you know? Well, I just honestly, I I, I think that. You know, to be serious, I honestly think that when you're writing, you are as as close to the material as anyone's ever going to be. You are as affected by the material as anyone's ever going to be. I see, I see jokes in things that people are never going to see because I'm just um, too close. I'm very close to it. Um, I couldn't write something that was, I have written, I've written things that were, I've written some monologues in the past that were quite, well, they would say bittersweet was what they would be called. Um, and I don't particularly like that expression, but but they were meaningful and about quite serious things. But the people themselves were quite funny, you know, they would have a funny way of expressing themselves or something. And they would be quite tear jerky, you know, in a way, there would be real sadness in them. Um, that's as far as I'm prepared to go. <laughs> <laughs> to get, because it gets to me, you know, it gets to me so badly. And I've done a little bit of horror and the little bit of horror I did was as far as I was prepared to go with that as well. You know, because, uh, I, you have to protect yourself. And yeah. I honestly, I don't think, how could anyone write this? How could anyone write something so ghastly? It, how, let that, In a way, I don't think you should let it out. I think if you can think this, don't tell anyone. If you If you can think this, don't pass it on because now someone else will think that and it'll it'll spread, you know. Just if you think of something because I often I not at the moment, but I have had periods when just before waking up properly, I've seen horrible things happening to my dogs, you know. I've seen, you know, terrible accidents and things, you know, occurring and and I, oh no, oh, you know, and I wake up screaming. Um and um I you know. Don't write about it. <laughs> don't put it out there. You know, I think it's almost a moral duty not to to comp- not to pass that on. Um, but certainly I wouldn't do it to myself, you know. I just think I, I need to be um need to survive, you know. So um deal with it as much as you can, but no more. <laughs> don't push it, don't push it. So, to, you know guilt and misery and violence and, you know, this terrible violence you get in a lot of crime novels. I just don't want to, you know, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I love the puzzle. I do love the puzzle. I love the who did it and why, you know, and that is, it's such a basic, I think nearly all fiction, nearly all great fiction actually is crime. You know, it is about who did what and why, you know, is what you you, you want to find out. When you start reading any any great work. And um, you know, Hamlet, it's a crime crime novel, the crime story, you know. What happened? How did the father how did his father die? You know, it's just just you just want to resolve that, and you feel better if you resolve it. So you've got to have that, um, you have to have things satisfactorily resolved. And if you can have a laugh along the way, I think, well, wow, great. <sighs>
0: Well, you have certainly given us laughs along the way uh, with Psycho by the Sea um, and your other Constable twitten uh, mysteries. And you have actually managed to uh, give us something to think about without being overwhelmed by it. So thank you for that.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much. You're very kind. You're very kind. It's lovely to talk to you. Uh,
0: and, and thank you uh, for coming back uh, to talk to me again uh, today. I enjoyed chatting with you.
1: Well, thank you. No, it's been great. Thank you.
0: And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guest today was Lynn Truss, author of Psycho by the Sea, the fourth Constable Twitton mystery. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Alexia Gordon, award-winning author and host of the show. Tune in next time for another chat with an author writing on the lighter side of crime. Until then, goodbye.